0: G'day and welcome to Occupied my name's Brock Cook and today I had the distinct pleasure of being able to sit down with Dominic Lloyd Rendolfi from newgradoccupationaltherapy.com had a really fun conversation and covered everything from sex as an occupation to making friends with the janitor so I hope you enjoy Thanks for having a chat man. It's 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 yeah. nice to oh. meet nice to meet you. I've come across your various work and little projects <laughs> and stuff online. I think the first time I I found you online was when I was in an article about OTs on Twitter or something.
1: Yes. Um, that yes. was I think
0: that was last last year.
1: Yeah, maybe April or May-ish of last year. Yeah, so it's been it's a little while, and that was the
0: first time I found the the website that you're involved in as well. Yeah, which is pretty cool. But we'll get to that. But first off, what makes you awesome, Dom? What makes me awesome?
1: Wow, I don't feel like I'm put on the spot at all. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I feel like I mean I'm sure a lot of people who feel like or a lot of people listening. I feel like what makes me a little more awesome than a lot of people, than the general public, uh, I'm pretty empathetic. And I feel like that's probably true of a lot of OTs. Um, and whether it's with your clients or your patients, but I feel like even the things like uh, talking to someone on customer service and just knowing like, that they're probably having a hard day and I don't get mad at people a lot, I can easily put myself in other people's shoes. Or if I'm driving around the town with my girlfriend and she's getting mad at someone who like cuts us off, she calls them a swear word. I have to be like, listen, like you don't know what they're going through. They could be having the worst Monday ever. They could be having an emergency. So <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. I'm sure it's probably true for a lot of OTs, but um, pretty stress-free and empathetic, I guess.
0: No, that's awesome. That's, is, that, is that
1: an awesome quality? That oh,
0: I think it's an awesome quality. I think that's something that, I don't know, I think that's a, a trait that's very difficult to teach I, I well, I'm obviously in an, an educator role at the moment or now but and I know a lot of my students have just gone through a course around communication and so they've learned about that And I think of all the different I guess communication techniques and communication styles, yeah, I think they learn about empathy but it's incredibly hard to. I guess, teach someone, you can teach them to be more aware of it, but I think that's something that's actually really hard to teach someone if they don't understand it or they're not exhibiting it. I think you're right. I think it's probably something that a lot of OTs exhibit, but probably more for the fact that maybe that's the, I guess, the personality type that is attracted to OT more than than anything else.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people, and a lot of people just want to help. I know... You mentioned it's like a hard skill to learn. And I think that might be not part of the problem, but one of the challenges for new grads coming in and working is uh, like it's something you get through life experience. And so if you're 20, 21, 22, and you're starting your career, you haven't had very many life experiences that have taught you to be empathetic. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, But so I actually, we're in real personal here, Brock. I actually work at the hospital in my hometown where my dad passed away. Okay. When I was nineteen, so that was maybe seven years ago, and so it's like a weird—I don't know if it's like a blessing or—I uh, don't really know how to describe it. But when you walk into that hotel room, you know I've been on the other or, did I just say hotel, <laughs> hospital. <laughs> when you walk into that hospital room, you know you—you you know what it's like to sit on the couch as like a family member. So you kind of know what are the things they're thinking, and you know how to explain it. Um, so even uh, when I was at work on Friday. Like I was working with a guy. He just had a coronary artery bypass graft. Cabbage is what we call him. Yep. And we're we're just going to sit up and maybe get to the chair because it's post-op day one. You know, for me, I do that all day long. And so I, I had to sit back and I even told, like I could tell the wife was nervous. And I said, listen, I'm sorry. I probably should have explained more for us. Like this is like a root. It's a major surgery, but it's routine. We see them every day. And I realize for you, like this is very scary, but trust me, it's okay. We're going to get him to the chair. He's going to do great. And it's going to be better for him during the hospital stay. Um.
0: Yeah. And I, I think you're right in that a lot of OTs, especially, well, OT students that come straight out of high school, which is probably, I would say more than half of them, at least where I am anyway, don't, Yeah, they don't have that life experience. So, their, I guess, intent for being there is often just, you know, I want to set myself up for a good career and that kind of thing, but they don't. Whereas you talk to, say, some of the uh, people that have been either doing other courses for a few years or even have been out working, had kids, had families, uh, you know, might be coming back into the course in their 40s even. They're coming from a very different uh, perspective, it's, it's a very different lens that they're coming to the profession in. So yeah, I, I definitely can see how it might be something that a lot of new grads will struggle with. But I think in from what I've seen OTs and it might be different over there. I'm not sure. So OTs I see over here tend to hit this. I don't know what you call it. Almost like a, a, an OT growth spurt kind of thing. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably about four or five years out it seems to be where a lot of that stuff that they might have been taught at uni clicks i know yeah that's, that's kind of how it was for me uh even though i wasn't straight out of high school i was probably a year in between but i was but still am, probably fairly <laughs> immature for an OT student. Uh, so I, I No way. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, so I still would count that as, you know, straight from high school. And I definitely, I mean, I'd had a lot What I thought at the time for how old was I? 18? For an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, however old I was when I started, that I'd had a fair few life experiences when really in reality I hadn't. But, you know, uh, most of my life experiences consisted of sport and traveling for sport and that kind of thing, which I thought mm-hmm. was, you know, very worldly and yeah. <laughs> all that kind of stuff. But it's 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 interesting. It's interesting that you bring it up. It's not something I've – I mean, obviously, I've thought about it, but it's not something I've thought about in great deal as to empathy itself and how that develops. But you're right. It's it's It would be more of a, you know, you've kind of got to experience the other side almost in order to appreciate – what someone's going through and experience that that feeling of empathy
1: yeah it's tough and i think it you know it's definitely means something different to every person but also you know we're fortunate as ot's to work in i you know a million different settings and i think empathy means something different in each setting so i just mentioned like a hospital icu because that's where i work yep. but it might look very different than um, a mom raising a child with special needs or Someone working with someone with schizophrenia or someone that works in a, I don't know, call center and you're helping them with ergonomics. It all, like, very, like, the goal is the same, but yeah, trying yeah. to understand what each person is going through every day is a little different.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it's and that's something I, I talked about with uh, Simone in maybe oh, a couple podcasts ago now. The fact that, in my opinion, and I know my opinion can be <laughs> quite well yeah I guess stubborn's a word stubborn but quite extreme to some OTs but that's what sets us apart the fact that we have this unique focus and the fact that it doesn't really matter which setting we end up working in in my opinion it should look pretty similar yeah the actual individual modalities might be different but how we view the situations and how we even how we talk with, with the people that we're working with should be similar because it should be focused around occupation and what they want to do and their values and that kind of thing. So, and I think that's – I don't know how much – obviously, I'm not in America uh, like you are if the accent doesn't give it away. <laughs> but uh, I I would think it would be fairly similar situations aside from, you know, individual healthcare policies of different areas. Right. I would think that OT over there would be fairly similar to here. Um, it's It seems to be quite a globalized profession nowadays, especially with social media and that kind of stuff, bringing everyone together and really, I guess, providing a lot of the resources and stuff that I, I see shared around online are international resources. So a lot of, especially the, you know, new grads for the last, five years or so where a lot of the networking groups are really international. A lot of the resources and the answers to questions that they're posting and that kind of stuff are coming from a very international background. Mm -hmm. I I would think that that kind of almost normalizes the profession across the oceans almost. Uh, So, I I would think that ot over there would be fairly similar to here as well um i know yeah, I, I, I have heard that mental health isn't as big over there as it is in some other countries though
1: i think oh hold on let's rewind okay. so yes i would i would agree with you like a lot of it is the same i think the the challenge is like occupation changes versus on where you are and so a quick example of like there's an, like a cognitive, functional cognition assessment called the kettle test, and it's British, and you have your client make a tea, and then you have a coffee or vice versa, and you, you ask the client to use a kettle, like electric tea kettle, which aren't very common here in the States. They are common? They are not. Oh, really? Uh, more so nowadays, but like uh, not everyone has seen one, and so if you have someone that's 70, they might have been using like a, just a pot on a stove. Wow. I would never Things expect Things like that, that. Are, <laughs> Or different or yeah, like are we doing like something shopping or money or I'm trying to think. So small things like that can be a little different where it might like change the validity or reliability of the test. But also I noticed like even here, like in my hometown, so I'm for everyone listening, I'm from Billings, Montana, and I'm the closest in Native American reservation is 50 miles to the east. So we see a lot of the uh, Native American population out of my hospital that I work at Yep. and things like they How they view occupation is a little different than how we might do it. So we're a culture that is very much uh, of independence and there's uh, They look after their family a lot. Yeah, so yep. I'm asking them to do can you get up? Can you get dressed? Can we brush your teeth? Let's do stuff that you need to be able to do at home. Well, They're not thinking that because they know they can go home with um, aunts and uncles and cousins and whoever that can help them out with whatever they need. And so there's a lot of times a cultural barrier. Why are you asking me to get this up? Like, I know I can. I'll have someone do it for me. It's not a big problem. Yeah. And so there's, like, a cultural shift even here in, like, my hometown of what is occupation.
0: So is there... I'm just uh, thinking about the the cultural differences because that sounds similar and that's actually quite a similar difference to we have here with some Indigenous Australian uh, groups in that independence isn't isn't valued as highly as say our Westernized culture might uh, value it or place it up on that little pedestal. But is there a a large sort of emphasis on training health professionals to uh, like around that? Because I know it's, it's a, big, there's a big push or not a big push, but there's a, a big inf, uh, impact through the health service here around, well, this is how other cultures may view this. And it's it's generalized information like that, the fact that they're very reliant on families and families are more important in a lot of cases than independence and that kind of stuff. But is there that same push from like the health service over there?
1: I would sadly, I'd have to say no. If and if it is, it's not happening anywhere near where I work. Um, you know, there's a lot of negative stereotypes towards like Native Americans where I live, sadly enough. And so I think I'm able to shine that light on, you know, the nurses might come to the nurse's station and complain about how quote unquote lazy a patient is. and Or they might gripe about something where, you know, this actually happened with a, a CNA, like a certified nursing assistant. I don't, do you guys have those in australia they just like they help the nurses like with bed changes and showers and stuff like that uh yeah, i
0: think we have we have like different levels of nurses. So there's like enrolled nurses which is well i'm not sure i don't want to
1: offend anyone but it might be similar it sounds similar <laughs> gotcha uh, could, could be well, wrong <laughs> it, it could it doesn't really matter the point is yeah. i had to like explain to her and say like hey like they're first of all you're seeing someone that's very sick but also like there's a huge cultural shift. So no, I think I just am lucky enough to have gone to a school that taught me that, and I kind of developed it through my own of just understanding what occupation is. But I can't say that there is sort of a push to learn more about. I it's going to sound like I live at a in a terrible place, and I don't. I, <laughs> love, I love. No, no, no,
0: and it's it's. I think a lot of the time. Uh, room
1: room for improvement. There yeah, yeah. there are opportunities. There's, there's for always growth. learning
0: opportunities. That's right. Yeah, uh, but I think uh, if you uh, I don't think Australia does that sort of stuff particularly well either. There's a there's a big push and it's getting better and every you know every time they bring out something new it's improving but i still think uh i think there's a lot of room for improvement just in the ot field itself around i think other cultures views on occupation mm-hmm. uh, Yeah. cuz i don't think so i've, I've done a lot of st- uh, a, lo- a lot of work you, are you you're familiar with the kawa model yeah yeah so i've done a, a lot of work with that and one of the one of the essentially the reasons it was developed was uh michael iwamo yeah you know, uh, he he the Japanese culture doesn't the way they view the world it doesn't actually there's no way for occupation to fit if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah so where we might view. The, the individual and the environment and then occupation is what happens when those two interact kind of thing. Um, occupation is us interacting with our environment, whether that's cultural, social, you know, physical, whatever it is, but that's what occupation is. It's doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas he explained it to me that the Japanese culture doesn't see uh the individual or the environment as separate so everything is interrelated everything is all joined you you know change as we know you change something in the environment it's going to affect everything else in that system but because they don't view it as separate there's there's nowhere like occupation isn't a thing Kind of, uh, well, the, the concept is we not the Westernised concept of occupation isn't the right. thing, which which is interesting because it's obviously you know it's not a background I come from, it's not a background I have uh, a lot of experience with uh, being you know Japanese culture, traditional Japanese culture. But the other example that he gives is Indigenous Australian culture. Which is, uh, so where I live, <laughs> where I live uh, we have, so I'm up in, I don't know if you know, Australia. It's got the pointy bit on the right-hand side. I'm about halfway up that pointy bit. Gotcha. Um, on term, we, we've we got a fairly high percentage. I think we've got higher than the state average uh, percentage of Indigenous uh, Australians living up this way. And so the, it's, it's a culture that I'm... Um, fairly familiar with working with uh we we used to see when i used to work at the hospital or even when i used to work at community mental health we used to see quite a few people uh from an indigenous background and it's something as soon as he told me that i just just almost clicked i was like oh of course (laughs) like it just makes so much sense now yeah probably a lot of those negative stereotypes that you're talking about I, i think we definitely have very similar ones here in australia which you know, isn't productive. Uh, but yeah, I, I yeah. think, like, I don't think it's as bad as it is. I don't, I genuinely don't think it's coming from a place of malice. I think it's just coming from a place of not understanding. Yes. So we're, we well, what I say we as in general population is viewing their situation or their culture from our Western lens and it doesn't make sense to us. Like, hey, what do you mean you don't want to get up and do this or whatever? What do you mean you you don't value your independence? Like this yeah. doesn't make sense. You must be lazy kind of thing. Whereas I've never read anything or actually, now that I think about it, because I'm just thinking on the fly now, um actually considered how we might look from their cultural lens probably just like we're running around doing things that aren't aren't (laughs) overly necessary i guess yeah (laughs) and i I think obviously there'd be things like our family values which you know uh, yeah that's awesome you're from an an italian background i'm also from an italian background like the family value is a big thing in in that culture And, Uh, and food And food, which definitely always comes along with family. It tends to follow each other around. But even that, I think it's a very different uh, kind of family value that I think you would see in, say, an Indigenous Australian culture, whereas they seem to be, and this is my complete outsider's perspective, um, it it seems to be more of a, I guess, kind of a working together, almost like a, a community... Family kind of value whereas uh, the Italian value that I've experienced with my family anyway is very much more just being around each other um, more of a connection kind of value as opposed to uh, always having to do things for each other help each other work together kind of thing which i mean it still happens but i just i just see it as a a different kind of family value so even that like you know you take two cultures with a fairly strong family value in in you know quotation marks i think would still look at each other very differently which is it's interesting
1: i think that's probably consistent with what i've seen through my experiences and whatnot um i'll have to go look and you know brush up on my cowbell model and start applying that to how i work with those populations i haven't thought about that before that's a really good uh that's a good point i'm taking notes over here
0: (laughs) neither did i until about five seconds before i said it
1: (laughs) um it's i think it's also just like one final touch it's also important to remember that like um native american populations or indigenous australian populations like each each tribe is essentially its own culture. So like, you know, if we have three or four different tribes here in Montana, you know, someone from the Western state is completely different from Northeastern or, you know, South central, like these are different tribes and different cultures, and different communities. You can't just label them all as native American. They're completely different. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the states not are big enough to have those wide varieties throughout the whole entire country that, um, You just got to be open-minded. I think it's the
0: same. I think it's fairly the same here. I've heard, and I could be butchering this stat, but I've heard that there was up to 5,000 languages or something at one point, you know, in Australia amongst what we would call Indigenous Australian, which, you know, if if you're speaking a different language, then, you know, that, Kind of would indicate that you're a different, or I'd say a different country, but a different um, people. So, you know, we're, whereas we in a westernized culture, you know, English is, actually, I don't think English is the dominant language numbers wise. I think it's like Portuguese or something, but, um, oh, oh yeah, so. but, you know, we we tend to gather in large groups and evolutionary. Wise, that wasn't always the case. Whereas the indigenous, let's say, indigenous Australians, tend to traditionally gather in, I guess, much smaller groups than people in a Westernised culture, and they've developed their own language or their own dialect, their own variation of language. I'm sure some of them, are, you know, share similar words and that kind of thing. Yeah. But it's it's interesting, and that that kind of stuff, uh, how different cultures. Uh, and how different languages and stuff kind of evolved has always been something that's really interested me. Just as a side, side note, I got a fairly strong interest in things like social constructionism, how things come about, why we, or how we, uh, develop, I guess, certain meanings with words and i guess that's something that you know occupational therapy is all too familiar with because our main concept is a word that majority of the population has a completely different relationship with to what we have right most people just occupation oh yeah that's like you know a job job well mm, yeah
1: okay it can be (laughs) (laughs) i get that at least three times a day at work i know a lot of people do
0: yeah I've just had open heart surgery. I'm not ready to go back to work.
1: <laughs> you tell them your are occup... I tell them their occupations to sit in your chair today. And then kind of explain other stuff. And then it kind of clicks for some people. Sometimes, not always. But um, I, I enjoy it. You know, I got a little frustrated as a student. I don't know if you'll listen to this. But my fieldwork instructor, I, I felt like half the time when he went into a room, he didn't say what he was doing or he just said he was part of the rehab team. Almost like embarrassed to say, like, I'm an OT. But... I relish in it. It's like, I love telling people what we do. I tell them I have the best. I tell them we, have, I, it's like, they say, what's well, OT? And it's like, occupational therapy. I explain like what we do. And I say, I have the coolest job in the world. Cause I get to help you with whatever you want. But before we do that, we got to do some basics real quick. So you can be safe to go home. Yeah. And then once you say like, go home, they, they buy it. People are all about
0: that's something I was talking about with Simone on the second episode of, of Occupied was why Why do you think OTs are so, I guess, resistant to talking about OT? Because I've, uh. I've always been under the impression that it was because we didn't really understand it well. So we, you know, would avoid talking about it. But I yeah, it's something that, once you sort of once once it's said out loud, you're like, oh yeah, like why don't I just explain what OT is? And people, the the main because the main reasons I hear are things like, oh, nobody understands what we do. And I'm like, well, explain right. it. Like, what's, right. what's what's the issue? Why can't you explain it?
1: Right. If like once a day, I can if I can educate someone, then I've done my job. You know, just like every day, kind of like proselytizing the world of and spreading the good word of occupational therapy to the masses, one person at a time. Um, I don't, I don't know why we have a hard time explaining it. I do have a theory why we're like a lesser known than PT. And I think like a, not, it's like a comparison or anything, two very different professions. But I think a lot of times, like if people are in the hospital or rehab, we kind of work on like the less glamorous stuff. So if their family comes and visits and they say, I walked today like to them that's like the biggest news and so they tell their families and they learn what pt is but you know some of the stuff we work on is can be embarrassing so if someone says i wiped my own bottom today they're not going to like tell their friends and family like how exciting that is and so um i'm not quite sure if that's it's just something i've kind of processed over the 11 months i've been working as an ot but a lot of this stuff like um isn't super exciting. You know, if they're getting up and brush their teeth for the first time, some people are very excited about that, but others are not, but they tend to talk to their families more about like the walking and the moving and they forget like they need to completely help, like getting their socks and pants on to get into the hallway. Um, that's, I have never actually considered that as a theory. That is interesting. That That's my own little theory. Someone can chime in or comment, um, but it's a work in progress.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that's, that could definitely be, Part of it. I've never. I mean, obviously, I've, I've never worked in that sort of medical ward or surgical. It's a medical ward, surgical ward that you're on. Yeah, both everything. Both. Actually, I did one. I did a placement. One of my placements, I did on a, a med surge ward uh, in a rural area. So it was kind of a bit of everything position. Yeah. So he did med surge community just the whole lot and you sort of do a day of each. But yeah, other than that, actually I did work with the dude. I oh know he had a, he he had a stroke, wasn't open heart. But I actually I, I ran a this is pretty much the extent of my uh, physical <laughs> modality knowledge. But I remember running a like a it was a, a group for people post open heart surgery and it was the group that i was running or the session that i was running was about energy conservation yeah and i just remember because it seemed to be like the project that they gave the student every couple of years or whatever to try and revamp it with the latest evidence and i just remember being so embarrassed about having to talk to all of these generally older people about sex and like yeah. nowadays it's like eh, yeah we're talking about it. it's natural Whatever. it's normal it's like hmm. but yeah especially being a you know older or a younger well, i'm older now but younger than it's kind of dude and a lot of the people you're talking to are old men and old women yeah it was i just remember being so embarrassed and i think back and go you're a fool why
1: were you, <laughs> why were you embarrassed um, so we we have a we have like a just speaking of like open heart surgeries we have like a occupational therapy cardiac rehab handout we give it every single person and it's in there like sex is in there and um I don't ever you know I kind of skim over it and I'm embarrassed but I have had a couple of people like ask me directly about it and it's caught me off guard but once they asked like I'm more than happy to talk about it yeah like yep. just getting over the initial hump of like ah, pun intended of <laughs> talking about it you know the energy conservation but also like putting your arms in a safe place so you don't like put your sternum in a risky position of
0: breaking.
1: So also something that I'll be working more on. It's it's actually something that came up during school. Like we have, so how it works in uh, American OT education is you have what we call level one field works. And those tend to be um, smaller experiences, maybe a week, 40 hours during the semester during class. And you just go to like my school was, we just went to a clinic maybe two times a week or uh, three Fridays throughout the semester for like a total of 30 some hours. And then, and then after, after two years of school, then you have like two, three month full time placements. So like six months of working. And yep. during our, like one of our first or two of these level ones, we had a, we were working on our occupational profile, like asking people where they're from, what they do and what's meaningful. And, and none of us asked about sex. And so we came back and our teacher read all of our responses and she said, how come no one's asking about this? Like, what is the deal? And we all just kind of blushed and said, well, our CIs, our clinical instructors, didn't didn't bring it up. So we didn't think it was necessary. And so we kind of had like an interesting conversation as a class to um, bring it up. Some people felt like it wasn't appropriate. Some people had no problem, just didn't know they were supposed to. I'm still not sure if I know the answer.
0: About whether it's appropriate.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know if it's your first time meeting someone you're asking them about their sex life you wouldn't do that really isn't like the most i don't know you don't want to scare them away
0: yeah i I guess you're hitting on them yeah (laughs) i guess maybe not the opening line like hi how you going i'm dom has your your flag flying kind of thing but i I think it's an important it's one of those things like once you if you're able to build rapport i don't know what like uh in terms of time restrictions how long you've got with with the people you work with but say if they're in there for a couple of weeks uh, I don't know what the turnaround is for your your particular people but it might it's definitely something that needs to be touched on at least I, I think I was lucky in a way in mental health we've kind of almost got an in to talk about it in that for quite a few of the medications it has side effects that affect sexual performance so I, I think that on terms of like, oh, it's embarrassing kind of thing. It, it's almost like it's like a little cue. It's like, well, you know, some medications can affect it. You know, are you experiencing anything? Is that all good down there? Like uh, it's it's almost like a little in. So it, I guess takes the, yeah. the edge off it being, you know, awkward or embarrassing for a lot of
1: people. Right, because they, they feel like have something they can not blame it on, but like a cause of it. Yeah, it's not. You're talking like antidepressants and like decreasing sex drives. Is that what you're kind of getting at? Ah, uh, well that, that can, that can be a symptom of the, the actual you
0: know a, a, a symptom of depression itself but some of the medications uh, that people are prescribed can cause impotence and that kind of thing gotcha. which you know for a lot of the guys that i was working with before i i took this new job that's that's a massive deal for a, you know a dude in his say early 20s kind of thing it's like that's right. I, i've worked so
1: that is their well, occupation yeah that's
0: it it's a it's a, <laughs> it's a big part of how they you know identify themselves sometimes so it's Quite often, it's, you know, so well, not quite often, but I, I've worked with people where they would rather have their, say, full-blown psychosis symptoms and still be able to perform sexually as opposed to taking the medication and having less symptoms but not being able to perform. So, it, it's, it's a big reason for a few of the people that I worked with why they... Refuse to take some medications. So, a a big part of my role was even though, you know, we don't have a lot to do with medications, that's obviously an important occupation for them. So, you know, it's not like I can physically engage them in that kind of thing. But for me, it's important that I'm advocating for their needs. So, I would go with them to their doctor's appointments and advocate for the fact that this is really important and is there any, you know, alternative medications that might not affect their occupational performance so much so it's i think a lot of the time people i think will avoid that particular topic as well because they don't really know what to do like what happens if someone does say yes i'm having issues like what do you do yeah and i think that's the other thing from in mental health is because a lot of it's caused by symptoms of you know, whatever condition they're having or the medication that they're taking, it's kind of like, well, it's got to be one of the two most of the time. So it kind of, it's pretty obvious what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Either either change medication or start to, like as their symptoms subside, you know, things should improve. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's completely separate and you have to advocate to them to speak to their GP kind of thing. Yeah. But I I think it's it's a little bit, easier access to that kind of topic in mental health. That's just what I think. I, I would feel – I'd, I'd be like you. I think I, it might – initially anyway, probably because I haven't worked in the area, it might feel a bit awkward just bringing it up with someone without I, – I, I, I don't think I'd have an tr- issue bringing it up, but I'd have an issue bringing it up without trying to make it awkward, which, <laughs> you know – I think it's one
1: of those things that's awkward, no matter what. You just got to get past it. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I'm sure there's a way, and it, it'd be one of those things that just comes with experience. But it's weird. Even now, I'm thinking about. it, I'm like, it's weird that I could just bring it up with someone I would work with in mental health, no worries. But even now, thinking about, say, bringing it up on, with someone on a medical ward, and i would be like, mm.
1: yeah, no, I, I, I still undecided whether I should or shouldn't. I let them ask me. And then I'm happy to talk about it. I mean, I, I, I guess if
0: it's in your little flyer thing that you're handing out, then at least the cues there, if they are experiencing anything, they can, they can ask because, you know, you're the guy that gave them the information about it right. in the first place kind of thing. And I, the other thing is like culturally, it, it might not be, depending if they're male or female, it might not be appropriate for them to ask you being a male. Yeah, sure. It's one of those topics that, can be a bit touchy for some cultures. I think Western culture, we're pretty, probably overly liberal when it comes to sex and sexuality. But there are some some cultures that are really conservative around that and won't talk to someone about, or like, from the opposite sex about that kind of thing or won't talk about it at all in some cases for... Uh, well, I'm not sure why because I'm not <laughs> from that culture, but uh, it, I have... Worked with people who don't like. I've been told beforehand by, say, doctors or someone that knows them well, like, don't bring it up. Like, it's not appropriate. They don't want to talk about it. Oh, and, that's, that's and they'll, interesting. They'll just shut down if you do bring it up. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'll avoid that.
1: Yeah, that's good enough. I'm like, I'm. You know, you said Western culture is a little more liberal, but I live in like a very much like rural, conservative, traditional values community where it's a little bit harder to. Broach the subject or
0: Yep. Okay. So I, you were saying earlier, I think it was yesterday when we were talking that you have an interesting story about how you got into OT.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a little through mental health. So I have this not a theory, but anytime I talk to someone, I like I know it's because it's a little different thing. Like very very few people grow up knowing they want to be an occupational therapist, right? It's not True. like a firefighter or like a cop or astronaut. Um, everyone's kind of got their own path and. And so I always ask anytime I meet someone new or uh, I help out with like local schools, it's like, why do you want to be an OT? And I love hearing different people's stories. So mine is, I was in, oh, I don't know, my second or third year of undergrad and I was in my, I was an athletic training uh, major. So like the person that wraps ankles and stuff before Like games and practices for athletes and like treats their injuries on the field and not very much like rehab, but it's almost like preventative medicine and acute injuries before they go see a therapist or a doctor or something like that. And I knew it wasn't, I knew, I knew it wasn't for me. I was over, I was burnout athletes. I love sports, but I don't love, didn't love athletes. Um (laughs) And so that's a problem. Yeah. (laughs) I was in a fitness science class and a professor asked if anyone would be interested in helping a guy who worked on campus lose weight. And I was like, sure. Why not? Like, that sounds like something fun, different. Well, I didn't realize at the time that this man, this gentleman uh, lives with schizophrenia.
0: Okay.
1: And, And he works at the, he works at the school. I think he still works there and he's a janitor for the gymnasium. And so. I spent two years working with this guy and you can probably give me tips. You know, this is, oh goodness, six years ago, five years ago, seven. I'm not quite sure. And he, you know, bless his heart. He, we worked out twice a week and I tried all sorts of different things and we never lost any weight. Uh, you know, part of it is like, I'd have him take like a food diary and well, the thing is he, the only thing, the only things he's not allowed to do by himself are, uh, um, drive and balance a checkbook. But yep. besides that, he lives independently. And so, he always had to have someone. So, for those two things, they're like the two things you need to do to go buy groceries, right? Yeah, yep. And so, he didn't always have a ride to the grocery store when he wanted one. So, he had a hard time buying fresh like fruit and veggies and lean meat. Yeah, yep. So, he bought a lot of canned stuff. or um, Stuff that'll last. Yeah, stuff that'll last. And he lived close by to a local local bar where he doesn't drink but he would go there a lot you know they'd fill. he has his own like uh stein like a big german mug and they'd fill it up with coke for him and he'd have jalapeno poppers and you know that's hard because now that i'm thinking about it's like oh that was like his community participation like that's where he got fulfillment yeah yeah. um and now like i'd go back and try so many different things but anyway just working with this guy for two years and i was just fascinated we became very close you know it started off as like Hey, meet me at the gym at this time and we'll work out together for this amount of time and then, you know, by the end of it I was like picking him up at his house and we'd go hang out in the park or do some stuff and became really closer. But through that I learned about OT and um you know, I don't work in mental health now, but uh, it was definitely my path to OT and I I I miss it. Like thinking about that and hearing about your job, it's like, "Oh, I c- I could switch. I could do that. I would love to." You can. That's the beauty of it. (laughs) The hard, the hard part is we mentioned, like it's not mental health OT isn't as big as it is in other parts. And a lot of it has to do with different states and different funding sources and who pays for what. And so you might see a place like a state with Massachusetts or Minnesota or California with like higher taxes and more liberal leaning views value that more. Whereas like, now I'm sure I'm definitely stereotyping but like southern United States where it's conservative low like budget's not there people don't value it and you might not even see it but um I'm a big believer that as an OT even though if I don't work in mental health like every person has their mental health like everyone's got their own issues and yeah um and even even if you don't work with someone that's bipolar every day you know like it's a certain percent of the population so I know Schizophrenia happens on one percent of the population, so I know one percent of my client. I'm going to see at, clients. I'm going to see at the hospital are going to have schizophrenia, and I know how to deal with that. Um,
0: and that's it. I think I I I think a lot of people underestimate that and think you know I don't work in mental health like you know I'll never have to deal with it or learn about it or anything like that where it's quite the opposite where if you're aware of it even just aware of it and don't have any specific skill set around it just being aware of it can help with the people that you're working with and it's it's not always uh going to be full-blown, uh, you know, mental health diagnosis that you come across in, say, a physical setting. It could be things like grief and loss or like, uh, you know, I say smaller, but it's not small to them. But on terms of the uh, like a mental health spectrum, you know, smaller things like the fact that they've just had... Surgery, and that's a yeah. that's a big, you know, that causes trauma. The fact that they, at the uh, moment, can't do what they really uh, want to do or uh, what they need to do, and it's going to take time to, you know, to rehab and to build back up to that. Like that causes a lot of distress. So little things like that, I think, are really important on terms of they need to be taken uh, into account. Very important. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear my dog barking. I hope
1: not. That's all right. I'm just lucky it's too early for mine to be up. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I think it's it's super important. And I think you touched on everything, whether it was like working with a someone with a mental health condition, for a knee replacement, or I think what you hit, you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned like a surgery trauma, it's even for them and their families, it's a huge, a huge factor. And so just even knowing how to talk to people, if we're doing full circle, the empathy and how to talk to people, um, I think it really sets us apart from a lot of other healthcare professions.
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think so... One of the, the things I got taught, I had a uh, an OT mentor here. I used to, well, she used to be the team leader for one of the teams that I worked in who used to often talk about the trauma caused by health services. Uh, so even though, you know, we're coming from a good place, there's a lot of people that say have been in a health service for years and years, especially in mental health. Like I've worked with people that have been in the mental health system for 30 years that – have almost well, – it's 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 trauma, essentially. They've been through so much. They've been taking medication for so long. They've dealt with so many thousands of people by that stage where quite often by the time they get to that stage, it's like, well, you guys can't help me. You're just here to make my life hard, blah, blah, blah. Right. So, the challenge for us is then to not only – you know, help with whatever their acute issue is at the time, then we also have to try and almost undo or work around the trauma that's caused by the system that we're actually a part of as well, which is probably the harder part, especially with people that have been in the system for a long time. The example that she used to give is of a hospital ward and the number of people that may come in and see a client and ask the same questions every single time. Mm-hmm. Like, especially if it's, you know, a new admission kind of thing, the number of people that were, you know, what's your name, where you're from, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And each individual person is coming to that client from a good place and wanting to do good by them. But you can imagine by the end of it, like the end of a day, if you've had to explain your story and what happened and who you are and that kind of thing, will say 15 times you're not going to one you're not going to feel like you've gotten anywhere and you're probably going to be very over it by that stage and like that's yeah. just, that's a very small example but you picture that over the space of 30 years, 30 years. <laughs> and that's this is all mental health services do for me they just ask me who i am and
1: they ask questions
0: and give me meds and, and kick I, me I've, out. I've had because there are some standardized uh questions that Our health service would sort of mandate mainly around outcome measures and stuff that we used to have to do every three months, I think. But I had clients that knew them off by heart, so I would come in and, all right, so we got to do this. It's that time. It's it's not. They wouldn't place any any high value on them, but they used to know the questions off by heart. So I'd ask one question, and they'd answer the next three.
1: (laughs) And yeah, that doesn't help anybody. Doesn't help. Doesn't help them. It doesn't help you. Help them. It doesn't help. Whatever National Health Service is keeping staff yeah, exactly. on it. Exactly.
0: And that's, I think that was one of my big issues with those particular outcome measures were that they weren't anything to do really with the client. Like they weren't. So I used to use different outcome measures, the goals that we set, that was my outcome measures. And then, yeah, admittedly, we used to still have to do the mandatory ones, but they were kind of, there wasn't, that wasn't the main drive I guess of the interventions that I did with my clients it would have been whatever we set between us at the start of our working together not what you know the health service had said we should be aiming at which was good I was in a team at the time that allowed for that and I know there's a lot of OTs that aren't in that situation so they're kind of I don't know they probably feel a bit stuck and they're stuck with just doing the mandatory stuff and they're not allowed or encouraged to really embrace occupation yeah occupation yeah
1: thank you what you're saying do you guys have a like in the states here we have occupational therapy assistants do you guys have anything similar to that so, uh the only, the only reason i ask is like uh like don't so the difference here in the states is that the the ota the assistant doesn't do the eval so a lot of places what happens is the OTRs, the just occupational therapists, will go and do evals and assessments and make goals where the OTAs are doing the interventions. And when you mentioned the getting stuck to asking the questions and not working on occupation, it made me think of the two different professions. I don't know if Australia has anything like that. So
0: I actually got asked this by an American on Reddit the other day.
1: Oh, nice. Shout out. I love that Reddit The subreddit. OT, occupational therapy subreddit? Yeah, I, I there's love
0: it. The, yeah, there's a lot of cool resources that uh, go into there and it's actually quite an, uh, an active group. I was surprised.
1: Yeah, there's 3,000, 4,000 and I think that's kind of how I decided I wanted to write and like help with the website and like give out info resources is because I found myself just typing really long-winded comments <laughs> all day long. I was like, there's got to there's be a better solution than this. Reddit's like, a bit of a rabbit hole. Yeah. You, you end up going down it and, you
0: know, the ne- next minute you're looking at like, you know, balloon balloon art <laughs> in middle of Africa or something. It's um, But yeah, that, that subreddit, that occupational therapy subreddit has been really good and I've, I've had, especially since starting this podcast, had some really good discussions with people around, you know, topics they want to hear about. But yeah, the one of the topics they that someone put forward was uh, i can't remember the exact conversation they wanted to have but it was around otas and we don't Oh, well, i don't want to say we don't because i'm sure that somewhere in the country there is otas we where i worked in the health service i worked in we had ras so rehab assistants which were more generalized gotcha. so they would assist with any allied health profession as opposed to being specific to ot so when i worked Mm -hmm. on the acute unit i had an ra under me uh and she didn't really have a whole lot to do specifically with ot interventions like she wasn't doing the I guess the the groundwork like I by the sounds of it just what some OTAs do whereas the OTs themselves you know I guess save themselves because we're pretty precious save themselves for the you know the actual intervention or evaluation or whatever it is that you know we do as opposed to them but yeah I'm sure there is probably especially in some of the bigger centers maybe um, down around Melbourne there might be some services that have um, occupational therapy assistance because it's a formal qualification over there, isn't
1: it? Yeah. To, I think you, I think you can get your degree in one year. Most of them are two. So it's a bachelor. Uh, no, it's an associates is what they, okay. they are there. The, there's a lot of conversation towards us education requirements and I won't go into it, but they wanted to try doing it for a bachelor's and, and kind of got nixed. The community wasn't very happy about it, but that's, uh, an hour long podcast for another time. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably one of the, like most hotly heated debated issues like over here right now. And it's, it's not worth getting into, but, uh, you know, they learn like occupational therapy. Like they're the, they're the best I've heard is they're, you know, the assistance to the therapy process, not assistance to the therapist, which I think is kind of what you yeah, were describing. Yeah. That sounds, that's a pretty good one. I- we do have, we do have, the hospital i'm at we do have either two or three what well, we call them rehab techs and they're around to help if we need an extra pair of hands for a slide board transfer or uh, for like the pts they'll help walk them down to the gym where the pts do the exercises with them or stuff like that is that kind of what you were talking about with the yeah, rehab that sounds
0: aid? pretty similar we also yeah we also have uh os which is just operational staff who who can help with that kind oh, of gotcha. stuff as well um or oh, they're they're affectionately known as Wardies, often over here.
1: <laughs> I love that. That's awesome.
0: But yeah, so yeah, it's it sounds pretty similar. But yeah, we, we up here anywhere, anywhere anywhere I have worked, uh, we haven't had OTAs. I can say that much. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I I do okay. know there's <laughs> discussed There was discussions around defining the difference from a national body's point of view. So I do suspect that they are somewhere in Australia um I'd be very surprised if there was absolutely none. It's a
1: it's a pretty cool career I think if I you know it's and people a lot of people that do that switch careers and it's an easier way to jump into OT. Okay. Like say if you were I don't know working in a bank or your teacher and you said hey this OT thing it's pretty cool cuz you can only you you know you can jump into school for a year or two. It's you know less expensive than a masters or a doctorate of OT. You don't have to go get your bachelor's and you know, you make decent money. And so it's a pretty cool, pretty cool gig, pretty cool career. I've been lucky enough to, um, the OTA OTA I work closely with, both of them at work have been around for like 20, 25 years. And so even though I, you know, I'm above them, in quotes, like I'm learning stuff from them every single day, or I'll say, hey, Lisa, like what's the best intervention for this? And, you know, she can give me a couple different options and scenarios so it's a really cool like symbiotic relationship to like learn and work from each other um i love it it's yeah and i think like the the rehab assistant that i was working with
0: at acute like she had been around she'd been in that system in our district for yeah saying probably about 30 years and literally anyone nurses anyone anyone wanted to know anything about the ward or how things were or where things were like they would they would go to her she was she was like the knowledge uh the knowledge uh (laughs) vault for the the ward kind of thing so and that and the fact that she was like 20, she was, she was like a little energizer bunny. She just didn't stop. She worked flat out from when she arrived to when she went home. And the fact that she was, you know, the whole time with clients, like anything that was going on on the ward, she knew about it. She was usually on top of it already before anyone else even knew that it was happening. So, very valuable, valuable resource, uh, that human being. <laughs>
1: hmm. Yeah, sounds awesome.
0: You mentioned before about your website, the the website that you're involved in. Can you give us a bit of a rundown
1: on that? What it is and what it's for? Sure. So it's for you guys that don't know. It's called uh, www.newgradoccupationaltherapy.com. dot com, uh, affectionately known as NGOT, and it's basically like just a website dedicated to helping new grads transition to the real world. You know, we do have some contents for like pre-OT like students and stuff, but really it's a lot about clinical judgment, paying back loans, communication, like what are the best settings for to work in? It's honestly it's it's all over the place and part of the reason is and I mean that like in an awesome way not like a, oh my god it's so scattered, <laughs> disorganized. It's uh we we let we let people submit articles if they want to write. So, you know, I I I run the website and I do do some writing on the side cause I enjoy it. But a lot of like a part of my job is to like go out and find writers from the community. So if I would needed a mental health piece that I thought would be really good, I would find you and say, Hey Brock, I'm looking at this. Would you ever be interested in writing? And to me, that's like one of the coolest and most unique aspects of it is that we give like OT practitioners and new grads themselves and even students like a platform to teach and talk to other OTs and, um, give their perspectives and their insights and their experiences and share them. And it's been a really cool way to like meet you and all these other like OTs throughout the OT community, whether it's local or national or international. Um, it's been really cool to meet everyone, you know, and like we went just went to the national AOTA conference this past April in Salt Lake city. And like me and another guy I work with, her name's Devin, you know, having people come up to us and saying, Oh, OMG, I like, I love your website. Like that's super rewarding. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And super cool. (laughs) Yeah. It was pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, it kind of validates or lets you know like what you do is, uh, meaningful or useful because it is like, it takes a ton of time, especially like if I have essentially not strangers, but people from the community want to write, like I have to edit that. And like, make sure what they're saying is yeah, true. Yep. I'm not gonna like tell them what they're gonna say is not true, but if they're gonna cite something, I gotta make sure it's real, right? And so it, it takes like a ton of time. Um, so yeah, it was awesome. It's I think super
0: that cool. Quality control process though is what sets you apart from a lot of other collaboration slash, you know resource sharing kind of sites. Like I know, like I've I've been fairly heavily involved in a lot of the online communities for i don't know however many years now but a lot of that is around you know based around platforms like facebook and that kind of thing where there's no real fact checking fake news exactly it it can be it can be it can be and i've i've seen i've seen no i've seen posts where you know people have posted something that's when you looked into it had little to no evidence behind it and there was a lot of OTs going yeah yeah this is awesome like I'd want to get involved or hear about this and then there was skeptical me going "Uh, that doesn't really sound right and then when you actually have a look into it there was you know and it wasn't anything I don't even think it was anything OT specific but that's I guess the it's the problem it's a problem that you find with almost like an open source community I guess in that yeah, it's really good and it'll build things really fast, but there's no checks and balances where I think, well, what you've got, uh, with New Grad OT, having you <laughs> as that kind of, that filter, yeah, filter. Uh, produces or allows for, I guess, just the, the high quality, uh, information to get through. And like I said at the start, like I was made aware of this. I think, I think I originally saw it on, might have been on Twitter, but you included me in a list of OTs on Twitter or something. It was something to that effect. And I was like, oh, okay, had a look, checked it out. And I think I sent you a couple of messages at the time. Just, you know, thanks for the, the, the shout out and whatnot. Yeah. And then ha- having a look through the website itself, for one, it looks awesome because I love that. I'm, I'm a big fan of like graphic design and that kind of thing.
1: Oh, you like the sliders, those little yes, 2D?
0: the little two D yeah. no face people, like and the fact that it's consistent across the whole website, it like it it makes me happy on the inside.
1: Yeah, those are fun. Those are fun. to give us a little creativity or like fun with it. Yeah, too. it's awesome.
0: And they're like it's very ob. They
1: are clean. They're colorful.
0: They're it's very obvious what each one is sort of portraying. But they're not too detailed to be like super busy. That's uh, from a graphic design point of view. I love
1: them. Yeah, they're definitely like one of our not staples, but iconic. And so, well, I appreciate what you said about the site. That's super nice of you. I do want to say that we are like not perfect. And we talked about like me being a filter and there's stuff, you know, there's a whole team. Um, so we're like a, our parent company is like a healthcare job staffing and professional development platform for, here in the U.S. for optometrists and PTs and OTs and soon-to-be SLPs. So, like, I have these guys I can lean on for, like, tech stuff and grammar stuff. And there's someone – there's always, like, two pairs of eyes that see every article. And – but, I mean, there's still stuff that gets past us. So, if anybody listening see something wrong on the site, if we miscited something or if we spelled something wrong, just let us know. I'll fix it right away because it's certainly – has happened before and it will happen again i can guarantee you. oh yeah but you, you can put all the checks and balances in
0: place that you want and there's, there's still a human factor which to me is you, you don't want to get rid of that otherwise it just becomes a bit too robotic
1: like the beautiful part of being of a team is like we do have this graphic designer that does all of the images for new grad optometry new grad physical therapy new grad occupational therapy new grad speech therapy just started a couple months ago so it is really cool to be a part of that that brand but one of my favorite parts about like working for this website right now since we are kind of owned by a bigger company we don't have to worry about like going out and getting ad revenue or selling stuff to people where i feel like there's a lot of other there's a lot of really cool ot sites out there but like the way i don't know if you know anything about search engine optimization like being the front of google like, you'll read some of their content, and it's, like, not good. But it ranks the best on yeah, Google yeah. because it gets the clicks and it gets people on their site to buy courses or sell so on your T-shirts or whatever. I feel really blessed or thankful that I have the support from the higher-ups because it's my job. I just – they just let me – they just say, Dom, go make cool content. Go do what people you want can to read. focus on the content. So I don't have to, like, That's good. Right. I mean, we do we do worry about SEO, but, like, I can just – You know, we got like so. If you message me and I say I want to write about this, I can be like, "Yeah, sure, no problem." I wouldn't have to ever say like, "No, actually, Brock, I don't think that would be the best for our monetary value or whatever." So it's a it's a really cool hub of information.
0: So yeah, what? So is it purely that people write what they want to write about? Because so there's a lot of stuff. Obviously, a lot of your articles are targeted at new grade OTs and, you know, the URL probably is a fairly strong uh, indicator that that's going to be the case. But is it, is any of it kind of targeted? Do you come up with a concept and then go like, I want to run a theme of, you know, multiple articles around whatever it might be?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, as a publication director, I definitely kind of have a hand in where we go next. And I kind of mentioned that about like going out and finding the authors myself and saying like, Hey, I want to have this, you know, or uh, I'm trying to think of trying to think of a good example of, you know, this week is hand therapy week. So last year I like, now that we have hand therapy articles, but last year I was like, Hey, hand therapy week is in June. I need to reach out to hand therapists and get some hand therapy articles. So it is a little like targeted towards that regard. Um, and we do do like series sometimes like we, those past couple months, we've had a, a series of interviews of OTs working in non-clinical settings. And I knew that would be popular because our non, like our articles on non-clinical settings do well, like every month. And like, I can see that on the Google Analytics and so I can say like, Oh, people want to know more about this. This is what they're going home and searching at the end of the night after a horrible day. You I know, mean, Not a horrible day. Or just like people are, are kind of burning out. And so it's a cool way to kind of like see what people are reading and what they're clicking on. And you know, it's, it's kind of sad, not sad, but it's interesting. The, the articles that do the best Brock are how to be an OT, like how to get into school, like how to make the most money or how to make <laughs> yeah, get money and then like transition out. Like what are the non-clinical careers? And so, um, tell me what you think about that. I don't know if do you think that's true for Australia or the same, but it appears so through like what people are reading on my site is, People really want to burn your OT. People have to pay back their loans and then they get so tired or burn out, they want to try something else.
0: I can definitely see some similarities, whether or not it's as strong as, uh, like what you guys are seeing over there. I'm not 100% sure. I would think that from an Australian point of view, most people would be looking for probably how to like juggle that transition from being a a student into being a a professional. Mm -hmm. That seems to be a lot of just through the networks that I'm involved in that seems to be one of the main questions we get from you know this demographic is you know tips and tricks and the other thing that a lot of people ask is and it's a similar theme is around, you know, oh, what do I? What assessments can I use or what groups can I run or what interventions yeah. can I do in this situation, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's something I see a fair bit of on, on MH4OT is people asking around specific interventions or specific things that they can run or do with people in, in certain situations, you know, whether it's a secure unit or whether it's an acute mental health unit or, or whatever it is. It seems to be less about community. It seems to be more just purely on observation of the questions that come in through that group. It seems to be more people trying to find interventions they can run in ward settings, which you know right. I could hypothesise that it's less of an issue in community because you're engaging people in the stuff that they're already you know their day to day life, as opposed to trying to fabricate kind of uh, simulated situations kind of thing in a, in a in a unit, right. but. I'm, I am surprised about the non-clinical stuff being really popular. That's what. So, what sort of jobs would would they be looking at for that?
1: Oh, all sorts of stuff. You know, I'm trying to think of like. So, we've got two articles that focus on it. Um, you know, like working more like I guess is arguably clinical, but like home modifications or like a transition liaison, helping people get set up like post-acute to home uh, care management, uh, teaching. You know that sort of stuff. Or you're like kind of using OT skills, but not, not as, as an OT, uh, right? Like in a like, dedicated yeah, position, kind of, right? Or like uh, writing, or you know, the options are really endless. Yeah, that's something I
0: think I I haven't come across too many people that. Are looking at doing that t- kind of thing, so it, it's interesting that that's you know really popular on the site. I do know like something that would be popular, with I guess uh, like OT jobs in maybe non-traditional backgrounds would be something that's uh, quite I guess sought after over here because I know that things like project placements are something that get put in quite often at university over here. I don't know if you guys have that where they essentially put a student into a a placement setting that there isn't currently say an OT role in and the, the purpose of the placement is essentially for the student to look at how they might establish an OT role in that setting. So it might be, I know well, this is way back when, back when I was at uni, someone did a project placement at a mine site, which nowadays is, quite common over here to have OTs on site. But back then it was, you know, that was a project placement and their, their job was to try and work out how uh, or even if you could establish an occupational therapy role on that mine site kind of thing. Generally, you know, the mine site will have contacted the union and said, no, you know, this is what we're thinking. Can you help? Yeah, But uh, I would think articles around that kind of stuff so non-traditional ot roles which is probably similar to what you're referring to when you're looking Yeah, a little little
1: similar Well, i get what you're saying like primary care emergency room or with the ambulance or like different areas yeah uh, like where ot could
0: yeah so yeah so still looking at that sort of primary yeah primary care clinical role as an occupational therapist but just in a, a setting that hasn't traditionally had an OT involved. When I first found the website, or when you first um, put me in the article, so I was off, I found the website after that. A lot of the articles that I found around that time were looking at were looking at tips and hints and stuff for making that transition from a new guard to a student. Do you think that, or is it? I guess a big jump over there or do you feel like the universities are, are preparing like is it, is it, is it a, smooth it's a huge transition
1: or is it kind of like a no off you go <laughs> huge yeah off you go and i think that's why like we've been able to fill the void and i think that it might be consistent with a lot of american education like because we do have these different new grad publications for multiple healthcare careers where um i don't, I don't know if it's their jam-packing so much stuff they leave out the important stuff like cover letters and interviews, or if people are just so nervous, I'm not really sure like where the disconnect is. Uh, but yeah, I did not get anything in school about cover letters, interviews, where to apply a job, like what parts of the country paid, what or like where I should apply, where I shouldn't, stuff like that. Okay. There are things I did learn in school where you know, ask about mentorship. Um, worry about productivity rates. This is like ethically, like these are the types of scenarios you might see in different settings and kind of just like work at a place that could match your values or what you feel comfortable in dealing with that. I learned, but like some of the other stuff, like if they ask me what my greatest weakness is, I have no idea what to say. That kind of like hard. I don't know. That's a loose example, but Um, So like more around the
0: practical like job like interviews and uh, preparing job applications, that kind of stuff, that real practical skill set.
1: Yeah, resumes. And, you know, I wonder and now I'm thinking I wonder if like, like subconsciously as a publication director, I was picking content that was most important for me at the time. And so I wonder. I, I would I not wonder if, that like, at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder if, like last year, after the Twitter article, which, by the way, it took like a ton of time to like actually do the code for. And so, I if anyone has a Twitter, please check it out because it's it's it took me a lot <laughs> he's of time. Proud of it. And it took Grant Grant Mitchell, who's who's he's a mental health OT. It took him a lot of time too, um, to like find all the OTs. But yeah, I wonder if that came out around like April May as I was graduating last year. If the stuff you saw after that was kind of like more practical job stuff and now that i'm working it's more like clinical intervention stuff
0: yeah
1: it'd be interesting and i count i don't do too much it'd be interesting days, if you had a
0: look back through and just looked at the common themes you know as and compared yeah. them to your i guess career progression be interesting especially if like because are you the sole sort of director of the like the content director
1: yeah, so I've, there's a gal, uh, Eleanor, she helps edit all those stuff for everything that comes out of new grad. So I bring the content in um, and she always looks over it like in terms of grammar. She has a PhD in literature Perfect. or something <laughs> crazy smart like that. So yeah, she like checks like, no, the apostrophe goes there and stuff like that. And then we've got a gal, Devin, she helps out with all the social media stuff. So it's like kind of like the NGO team is like a small team of three and then I can always like pulling resources of covalent careers, our parent company. So if I've got a question about, uh, like I think last week I said, Hey guys, like I'm going on a podcast, any tips? And so like the team was able to be like, say this, don't do this. (laughs) Be confident. You know, does that make sense? And so I probably failed. They're going to listen, but he didn't listen to anything we said. (laughs) It's Uh, all a learning experience. Yeah. I'd rather be more authentic than correct, I suppose. But yeah, it's more, it's kind of like a small group of three. Um, but we're all kind of do jacks of all trades and help each other out. If yeah, that's it.
0: awesome. That's really cool. So,
1: what I'd love
0: to finish on is maybe your your top five tips for a new grad transitioning or so student transitioning into a new grad OT. Pull that random arbitrary number I out. I would say,
1: <laughs> and I don't know again if this is a problem to Australia, but work at a place that values occupational therapy as a profession. So you want to work at a place where people recognize you and value you and respect you and look for your opinion. I would say number two, mentorship, having someone you can lean on throughout the day, ask questions so you don't feel like you're a bother or mostly, you know, you want to keep your clients safe. And if you ask like, hey, this person's got this tube coming out of them, can we get up and move? know stuff like that so you're looking at look kind of like informal mentorship or
0: like so over over here we have yeah. i don't know if you have the same we have supervision as well which is kind of like after new grads, it might be like a weekly meeting with uh someone that's you know good with supervision i guess it doesn't have to necessarily be an ot but it's someone to bounce ideas off and and reflect on your yeah. week
1: i think i think it's probably site specific but i had a, i had a when i first started i had an informal mentor and i mean my co-workers are so great i can ask any of them but I also have- I met with my boss with after three months and six months and then we'll have like a 12 month meeting next week so okay so yep mentorship
0: definitely that's a a big one I encourage all OTs to do and there's uh, there's really no reason you can't I've had Students talk about not being able to find someone. You can find someone online, someone that you respect, even right. a, another OT, or like a website where you could get resources yeah, from. I wonder where it's... that might be. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> uh, but yeah, there's there's someone you can find that you want to try and find someone experienced in your area, or ideally, but someone who's you know secondly maybe experienced but not in your area uh specifically that could still offer some advice from an ot perspective and then you know probably work your way down to you know your peers and that kind of thing that you can kind of group mm-hmm. mentor each other and you know bounce ideas off each other and know oh, i did this last week and you did this this week and how did they go and but uh, and ideally all three but uh you know you want to try and find the best fit for you as well
1: right and that's an that's important thing i remind people is like when you interview for a job you're interviewing them as well to make sure it's a good fit so be sure to ask their question ask them questions and what you're looking for good boss um, yeah so i think i think i think tip number three would probably dovetail into the past two but like having a good core group of coworkers, um and that probably falls in with respect and mentorship as well but you know this i you know I had some college jobs that I worked through like on campus or at target, but working at this hospital was probably like my first real job where I had to interact with nurses and doctors and respiratory therapists. Like, and just making sure like you work at a place that you get along with people. And and, and I guess you don't have to like everyone, but as long as you mutual respect and you can communicate with each other and stuff like that, I'm fortunate enough where the whole rehab department is like a big group of friends and siblings and it's we have an office in the basement and it is noisy down there (laughs) because everyone's just chatting and having a great time. I guess that's that's something
0: that is in my experience is probably more important than anything else because if you're in a great team or you're part of an amazing team there's you know when things go pear-shaped or it's you really not having a good week like that makes the difference and that yeah that for sure. will be the difference between you going oh it's a bad week or you going home and pulling your hair out kind of thing <laughs> right right so yeah and yeah. It, it probably does come down partially to that mentorship kind of thing, but getting along with your team and having a really functional team, you, you'll you notice a difference when you're in the, the complete opposite. It is night and day. And I've been in both. I can I can say that I've been in both and uh, the dysfunctional team makes things that should be fairly easy to deal with a lot harder and a functional team makes things that should be almost impossible to deal with manageable. So the the difference is massive. So yeah, that's definitely a good
1: one. There've been, yeah, there've been plenty of days where I've had like a exhausting, I'm tired or stressed, but like the last 10 minutes in the office before I go home can like significantly improve your mood. And then you leave thinking, Oh, that it wasn't so bad. So you're spot on with that. Uh, Tip number four. I don't know. Tip. I would say tip number five though. Tip number four. Uh, Again, probably an American problem versus Australian, but here we have productivity rates of how much of your time has to be spent with like a client or yep. billable versus how much time does you have left. And uh, healthcare over here is a business and a profit sometimes. And I, thankfully, I work at a hospital that's nonprofit. But there's a lot of people working in rehabs, and rehab is like a money maker as like a so they're spending 85, 90 percent of their time with clients, and 10 percent of their day is allowed. To eat use the bathroom and document to me that is crazy if you think you can do it as a new grad like go try it know that there might not be that mentorship and a lot of times you do sacrifice kind of those higher productivity rates for a higher salary kind of just depends you know i work at a hospital that's a nonprofit we do again like have productivities and you're expecting to see this many people but if i don't see them i I, I don't get in trouble no one's like calling me saying like Hey, you're at 72%. What's your problem?
0: I think a lot of, a lot of workplaces in here do have what well, we call them KPIs. So like KPIs that you have to meet and one, of them, yeah, one of them might be like a contact time. I know that they were trying to implement that or they were implementing that uh, just as I left the, the mental health service around, I can't remember what the exact... Uh, thing was, but it was, you know, you need a certain number of face to face contact hours per day kind of thing, which was, there's challenges because it was kind of being a blanket rule across all teams, which, you know, it's easy to get in an acute unit, but it's a lot harder to get in a community team kind of thing. Right. But yeah, so there's a lot of places that will have, and whether it's formal, like it may not necessarily like this. That it wasn't for billing; it was more just for right. productivity. So, where most places that you will work over here will have some form of uh, a KPI that you need to meet around uh, your client contact and that kind of
1: thing. That makes sense. Sounds sounds a little similar. I envisioned Australia and all these other, like National Health Service systems as was like this beautiful beautiful workplace where you could just do whatever you wanted for as long as you wanted and so you're not saying it's it's not this like magical unicorn of a therapy i, I could say that but it'd be a lie <laughs> <laughs> good okay yeah. we can chat more about that the the fifth tip i would have and again like just gearing not not salary but benefits and so don't like. Yeah, it's important how much you make a year, but also look at like your time off and retirement and all these other like important stuff that are, like affects your like health and well being, like your insurance. So yeah, money is important, but like again, I'm working a nonprofit, so like my salary isn't super high, but I've got like good health insurance. Like my coworkers are awesome. The time off is great. So it's things like that where look at your own personal preferences and like i waited like i i would rather have like a cool company i work for with coworkers i like versus extra money yeah and it kind of just depends where you're at in your personal situation and stuff like that um so that would be my fifth tip is look at the whole package not just the dollar an hour definitely definitely i'll I'll throw
0: in a couple tips from my end as well uh one tip and i give this to all of my students the very first person especially on a hospital ward the very first person i encourage you to make friends with is the cleaner a hundred percent if anything is going on on the ward or (laughs) you need to know anything they will know i i guarantee it you trust me Go and make friends with the cleaner and tell me I'm wrong. (laughs) Another tip with regards to because I don't think something mainly for looking after yourself because I see a lot of new grads that have done this. Don't be afraid to use your leave. It's we we work in a, a profession. It doesn't really matter where which clinical setting you work in because we work so closely with people, it can take a toll. It can be really draining sometimes. And there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. That's part and parcel of being an OT. But you need to look after yourself. It's kind of like the airline thing where, you know, when the masks fall, you got to put your own on before you can help other people. You need to look after yourself before you're able to adequately look after other people or help other people. So, you know, there's a lot of workplaces in Australia. Well, I know in where i live in queensland anyway that you know you might get your annual leave but you'll also get rdos so you might get you know one a month or something don't i I know a lot of new grads especially that are one either afraid to take leave because i've just started and you know i don't want to upset the apple cart kind of thing or or i'm trying to save up these rdos for some special occasion like a rainy day or something like no use them use them. They're there for a reason. There's a reason you get roster days off as well as annual leave. There's a reason why when you work, or over here anyway, when you work Shifts or when you work overnight, you get extra annual leave. It's because you need it. So don't be afraid to use it. You're going to, you're going to burn out quicker if you're not using your leave or if you're trying to save it for something. At least use your RDOs if you have those. Take a day a month, do something for yourself. And probably a third tip I would say is a lot of new grads I've seen tend to, and it probably comes down to the fact that for most of them they've just spent four years of their life training to get into this profession so when they do finally graduate and get into it it's almost like the sole focus like i'm an ot now this is what i do they live breathe eat sleep it don't give up your hobbies you need as much as hard as you've worked to get here it's important that it doesn't essentially take over your whole life. Yes, it's an amazing profession and I can't speak highly enough of it. Yes, you still need to be doing something outside of work that'll take your mind off work every now and then. That is... Probably something that I was absolutely terrible at when I first graduated. So when <laughs> I, when I graduated, when I first, my first job, I was living probably an hour away from where I worked. So I had two hours of transit a day plus work all day. Then I'd get home and I had all these online projects as well, Oof. like, um, you know, MHROT, that kind of stuff. But they really, I didn't, I just, I gave up on a lot of, things that previously i i'd really enjoyed because this is what i thought i needed to do to make it you know i've worked so hard to get here i'm gonna do everything i can like yes that's good and you're gonna make it anyway you're you've made it you're there make sure you are and it comes down again make sure you are looking after yourself that would probably be my biggest takeaway for for any new grads uh, moving into this amazing profession of ours.
1: You use the metaphor of the airline with the oxygen mask. I really like the I really I like that. I also tell people you can't pour from an empty cup, so you just gotta take care of yourself before. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> before helping others. I've
0: heard that before. There's a few theories around that use that sort of bucket metaphor uh one i used to use quite common uh, quite often at work was uh a stress bucket so all of the things that stress you are filling up this bucket and anything that helps relieve that stress maybe puts a hole in the bucket so you need to you need to have oh, more holes good, in the bucket like than what's filling it up so that the bucket doesn't overflow and you burn out so yeah, oh, yeah. that's that's
1: something that's a good
0: one that most people can relate to because i'm sure most people that are listening to this have probably seen a bucket and realized they hold water so it's a metaphor that they (laughs) can use awesome well we might wrap it up so yeah thanks so so. much for having a chat man it's been really fun I've, i've really enjoyed it
1: brock thank you
0: not a problem. We'll I really to, appreciate it. We'll get it. you back on in a bit and have another chat about something else. I'm sure we could just talk for hours. Uh, where can people find – obviously, there's newgradoccupationaltherapy.com. Where can people find you online and if they need to contact you? or
1: uh, You can personal LinkedIn. You can just type in my name, at uh, newgradot on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Snapchat. No, we don't have Snapchat. <laughs> you know, you'll find us facebook we got a good facebook page we have also a pretty good facebook group with conversations going on it's a little bit smaller but it's uh just type in occupational therapy students and new grads a lot of cool stuff awesome on there. well
0: thanks man uh like i said it's what is the time now it is like it's near oh, quarter to seven in the morning now so i've been up since 4 30 <laughs> and it's probably about yeah what, thanks one for getting up and doing so this nearly one o'clock uh almost three o'clock almost three o'clock all right so i got my times way wrong yeah. That's okay. That's all right. But yeah, thanks so much, man. Uh, it's been a pleasure,
1: and I will talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Brock. Looking forward to the next one.